You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. Good morning, everyone. Hope you guys are having a great holiday weekend. Uh, I know there's many people that are currently traveling. I know many of us are going to be traveling after today or sometime this week. So I just wanted to start off in prayer uh, for protection for all those who are traveling. God, we thank you for today that we can come here, that we can be worshiping your name, that we can open up your word and just study it. And I pray for all of those who are traveling, those who will be traveling, that you would just keep us safe, that we can just be following your word, and that we will just point all the glory back to you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, we wrapped up our series uh, last week of At the Movies, and we're starting a new series called Summer in the Psalms. So all throughout July, we're going to be looking at a different psalm each Sunday. Uh, I think it's going to be a great series. Hopefully you guys will uh, be able to take something away, apply it into your lives. But we're going to be in Psalm 8 today. But before we jump in there, I kind of want to give a little bit of backstory, a little bit more info on the Psalms so that you can truly appreciate what the Psalms actually meant to the ancient Israelites and uh, how we should be able to appreciate it today. So Psalms was a prayer book for the Israelites. Uh, The title Psalms comes from the Greek word psalmos, which means a song sung with with a harp or with a lyre. And the Hebrew title actually was Tehillim, which meant praise or a song of praise. So that's what this whole book is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be praising God. And so there are 150 songs throughout this book. It's one of the biggest ones in the uh, Bible. Normally, if you open up your book, the Bible, right in the middle, there's the Psalms. But these Psalms were very diverse in what they were supposed to to mean. Some of them were a personal psalm that it was just between you and God, such as uh, David, who wrote a lot of psalms. He wrote uh, a lamenting song about when his child died. But also there were psalms composed for corporate worship, for people to gather together and worship the name of Jesus. And this happened at a lot of different times. Sometimes they would have a special psalm for a specific occasion. Maybe there was a festival going on. Maybe there was a wedding, a time of celebration. Uh, But as I said, there are also times where people sing songs of lament, even together, such as when uh, the Israelites were in Babylonian captivity. There were psalms of lament that people, that the Israelites would sing together during a time of national crisis. But because of the spiritual depths and honest portrayals of faith in the Psalms, people have been able to look at it, uh, sing it, and it it just greatly enriched other people's uh, worship life by looking into the Psalms and seeing how other people have reacted, uh, such as when David lost his child. But the Psalms reflect the passion of a true worshiper and express the full range of the human emotion. There's a guy named Vernon Whaley that he said, Throughout the Bible's pages, saints of God use music to express both their joy and their sorrow. We read anthems of gladness and grievance. Ballads were sung to inspire prophets and throne kings, celebrate marriages, and lament deaths. So there was a psalm for everything under the sun. There, there is 
always a psalm that's going to relate to something that's going on in your life. But something that's truly set psalm apart from uh, the rest of the books of the Bible is that it's meant to be sung. It's supposed to be a prayer that you sing out loud. It's supposed to be a public address to God by using them uh, as prayers, singing them, worshiping, declaring your faith before God. And you might ask, why are there so many? Why are there so many different psalms? Because you could probably take away about most of them and still have a good uh, understanding of who God is and all the different genres still fit in there. Well, part of it is because many people didn't have a Torah scroll back then. For the ancient Israelites, uh, literacy wasn't that high. And really, if you wanted to hear God's word, you had to go to uh, a temple and you had to wait for the rabbi to come out and read God's word. And I don't know about you, but I don't have the greatest memory. And I'm sure if I asked everyone in here, uh, not knocking Pastor Chris, but what did Pastor Chris teach about last week? What verse was it? I'm sure there'd be several people in here that would be able to know. I heard someone say it. Uh, but I'm sure there'd be some people that might struggle and try to remember. And uh, I'll admit myself, even one time when I preached, a week later someone found out that I preached and they said, hey, what did you preach about? And I had to think about it for a second. I, di- I, d- I didn't just have it on the top of my head. And so memorizing that is kind of, it, it's a little difficult. But so what a psalm was, was it was a way for the Israelites to be able to understand God's word and to hear God's word, because much of the psalm is taken from the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. But as I was kind of looking into this, I was trying to think, why are songs so much easier to remember than just reading scripture? Because if I was to do a poll in here, and don't, don't raise your hand, but if I was to say who could probably sing 10 songs off the top of their head, or let's, let's even move it down to five. How many people could sing five songs off the top of their head? And then if I was asked, could you just recite five verses off the top of your head? Let's take away John 3.16. That one's easy. So, but, but when I thought about that, I was like, that's kind of a gut check. Like, why, why do I know so many more songs compared to just verses in the Bible, even though I've read the Bible multiple times? And so I decided to look into it. I decided to look at people that were much smarter than myself that have studied this, and they've said music has a vast effect on the brain. It can be perceived audibly. However, the rhythms and the melodies associated with music target more areas of the brain, such as the sensory cortex and the motor cortex, therefore making greater pathways to areas of memory and emotion. So in simple terms, when, when you're singing or when you're listening to music, it stimulates more parts of the brain than just reading or saying uh, a, a sentence. And so that's why it's so much easier for us to remember a song. And repetition has to do uh, the same thing with it. And I'm not saying we have an excuse to not know God's word. We always need to be focusing on memorizing scripture, having it in our heart so God can be working in our lives, that we can just know that scripture and pass it on to someone else to encourage them and tell them the gospel. But I believe that the psalmist knew that this was a great way for people to know God's word and to memorize God's word easily. And that's why there's so many psalms. Because God said a lot in those first five books of the Bible. And in order to uh, to capitulate all of it, there were so many psalms, 
and it's just easier for people to remember songs. And even today, many worship songs take scripture word for word and make it a song. I remember uh, back home at the church that I grew up in, uh, one of the big songs that we always sang was By His Wounds by Mac Powell. Now, some of you guys might know that one, but uh, I remember we had a conference, and I was very young at this time, so I don't want you to judge me at this, but I remember I was standing behind this guy, and he had this shirt on from the church that he was at, and it, ha it was Isaiah 53, 5, which said, but he was pierced because of, his because of our transgressions, crushed for our sins, punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. And I remember thinking, I was like, that's not scripture, that's a song. And I, I realized, I was like, there, there are so many scriptures that we know of in songs, but we actually don't know are in the Bible. And, and I almost feel a little guilty when, I, when I'm reading the Bible and I come across a verse and I'm like, man, I knew this in a song before I actually knew this was actually in the Bible. And so I, I say all of this because I think we all need to be working on uh, memorizing scripture, but a great way is to just uh, pick a psalm and memorize it. And you can find, if you just search on YouTube, like Psalm 8 and with the accompaniment of music, people have made songs and songs about all of these. I know uh, some people in here probably know Shane and Shane, the music group. I'm pretty sure they did an album or two uh, where they just picked psalms and made them into songs. And it's really great. I highly recommend you check them out. Um, but this was a great way for the ancient Israelites and for us today to just be worshiping God and just to be able to easily remember God's word. And so uh, just keeping that in mind, I hope that throughout this series that there will be a psalm that sticks out to you and that you will just take the time to memorize it, allow it, God just be working in your heart and that you would just be able to pass that on to someone else and just be able to share God's love with whatever he is teaching you uh, in that psalm. So now I would like to jump into Psalm 8 if you have your Bibles. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back. You can just raise your hand and someone can bring that to you. Uh, but I believe the scripture will be up here. So Psalm 8. Yahweh, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. Because of your adversaries, you have established a stronghold from the mouths of children and nursing infants to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observed your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you remember him? The son of man that you look after him. You made him a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him Lord over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep and the oxen, as well as all the animals and the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Yahweh, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. Now, as I was studying this passage, uh, there, there was a lot to unpack, and I was kind of going through multiple people that have studied this passage, and I was trying to find out some answers, and I came across this video, and uh, we've showed some videos by these people before, and I just thought that it explained it 
better than I could, uh, but also that it had a lot of good visuals with it. So I want to just take a couple minutes and watch this video and we'll come back and unpack this. So let's go ahead and play that video. All right, well, hopefully you enjoyed that. Uh, we can send that out in email if you want it. But uh, one of the illustrations that I loved about that was when he was talking about looking up at the night sky and just seeing all the stars and the universe and just making you feel small. And if you've never done that before, I encourage you, go camping, go somewhere on the mountains where there's not very many lights, and just look up at the millions of stars that you've never even seen before. But a great example that I kind of thought of that made me feel small that's kind of fitting with this holiday is uh, something that I've done ever since growing up uh, that my family did before I was even born was uh, we always take uh, the week of the 4th of July going to the Outer Banks, um, which is about an hour and a half away from where I lived in Virginia. And we get a cabin with all of our cousins. We pack it out. And uh, my favorite thing is when they shoot off fireworks uh, off of a pier that's about half a mile away from us. And now fireworks probably mean something a little bit different to me. Um, growing up in Virginia, uh, fireworks are very illegal. You're, you're allowed to have the small firecrackers. Uh, but I remember when I came here to Georgia and I walked into Ingalls or Kroger or Walmart and I saw that you could just buy those mortars for like $20. I was like, this isn't allowed, what's going on? And so I remember like, I was just very shocked at that uh, because in order to get those, you gotta go to like some black market area, super sketchy, something you didn't wanna do because it was illegal in North Carolina too. So it wasn't easy to get. But I remember when I was really young, we would always go to the beach for the 4th of July. They would shoot off professional fireworks off of the pier and those fireworks are just massive. And what I loved about it, it scared me, but it kind of gave me a little bit of a thrill was just of the explosion of those fireworks, of how big it was, but then like the, the concussive force that you would feel sitting half a mile away from it. And it, it made me feel so small of how powerful that was. And I love just the delay that went off of, you see the explosion and then it hits you a second later. Uh, but just think of something that's made you feel small. It could be fireworks, it could be something in nature, it could be outer space. But whatever it is, just, just think about how God has chosen us. That he has made us in his image. Chosen us to do his work. These weak and fragile creatures. I don't know uh, if you've ever watched Animal Planet, but if you watch Animal Planet enough, like myself, um, you realize how weak humans are. Like you can see a gazelle that gets born and like 30 minutes later, it's up and running with the pack. And if it's not, it's going to get eaten. Or when a chimpanzee is born, it has to pretty much immediately cling to its mother's uh, hair. And then the mother just starts swinging around in trees. And if that baby lets go, it's not gonna be good for them. And then if, if you look at uh, like babies, it takes them a long time to start caring for themselves. Like, I'm not, I'm not a father yet, but I don't even know, like, when a child can start going to the bathroom by themselves. <laughs> and I know it takes a while, and it's, it's crazy when you look at nature and then you look at us and just see how truly weak we actually are. However, the psalmist doesn't just leave 
this song about human, uh, humans and their weakness. Instead, the central theme is that in spite of the incredible chasm that separates human and God, where we see that humans are these creatures that God created out of the dust of the earth, whereas earth is a giant rock flying around a giant fireball of a sun thrown throughout the galaxy, God still cares for us. God's still mindful of humans and has a will and a purpose for our lives. And some of us might have come in here not feeling God's power. Might have been thinking, I, I feel like God has forgotten me. But yet, he, he's still mindful of you. I know there, there was another video I wanted to show, but I didn't want to show two different videos. And uh, a lot of people have probably seen it where they show you uh, earth, and then they show earth to the size of the sun, and how earth just looks like this tiny little speck. And then they show a different sun in the galaxy that makes our sun look like the size of the earth. And then they show another sun and just how much bigger all these suns are all throughout the galaxy. And you start realizing, wow, we are nothing in compared to the grand scheme of the universe. Yet even though we're this minuscule speck throughout the universe, God is still mindful of us, these weak creatures. You see, God likes to turn people's perception of what reality should be upside down. He says those that are poor will be rich. Those who are weak are strong. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. And a lot of times when, when we bring up weakness, we, we don't like to show our weakness. We, we like to try to hide it as best as we can. But there's a verse, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may reside in me. Now, I didn't know if you noticed that this message is pretty much littered all throughout the Bible. Just, just a couple examples. Um, about two weeks ago, we had our Piedmont summer camp, which was awesome. I think Pastor Chris told a story last week of a scary moment that happened, but luckily everything was great. Uh, but so on the last day, we, had, uh, we talked about Joseph. Right? Joseph was beaten up by his brothers. He was thrown into a hole. He was sold into slavery. He was accused of something that he didn't even do, and he spent many, many years in prison. Yet God used Joseph's weakness in that low status to elevate him to the second highest position in all of Egypt. Not because he was just like, man, Joseph, you had a hard time. I'm going to help you out some. No, it, it was so that no one could look at Joseph and think that he did this on his own. But th that this was solely something that God chose to do to bring God glory. In the same way, uh, this happened with Gideon. If you don't know who Gideon is, he's in the Old Testament. And Gideon is a coward. He's not a warrior, but God calls him to raise up an army to defeat the Midianites that are ravaging the promised land. So he manages to raise an army of 32,000, and that might seem impressive at first, but the Midianite army is 135,000. So the odds aren't very great there. 
And so Gideon still says, hey, God has called me to go into battle. I'm going to go do it no matter what he says. After much convincing, that is. But God says, you know what? And this is me paraphrasing. So um, God says, I, I believe that the Israelites, even if I give them the victory, even though it's 35,000 against 135,000, uh, the Israelites are going to claim that they're the best warriors, that, it, that they're the strongest, and that's why they won. So God says, no, you need to reduce the number. So then they reduce the number to 10,000 people. And God says, you know what, reduce it again. And they reduce it, and they reduce it, to eventually there's only 300 people in Gideon's army. And so in case you forgot the lineup, 135,000 against 300 soldiers. And to make the odds even worse... God tells them, hey, before you go and attack this camp of 135,000 Midianite soldiers that were trained to kill, you're going to take a pot, you're going to smash it on the ground, and then you're going to run down this hill holding a torch and a trumpet, and you're going to blow the trumpet. So they're running into battle, not even having a weapon in hand, and they're going to defeat the Midianites. And that's exactly what happens. God uses this weakness to point the glory back to himself. The Midianites freak out, and God says he, he threw them into a frenzy. And I remember when I was telling this story, one of my students one time said, like, why would they start killing each other? Like, can't they just see? I don't know how many people lost their power like a week ago, but I took my dog out at night, and I was like, oh my gosh, it's dark. Like normally in the apartment complex I live in, there's always lights on. Normally if there's moon out, you can see enough, but it was cloudy. There are no lights whatsoever. And I was like, I can barely see my dog five feet in front of me. And so it kind of put a new perspective in this of how these 300 Israelite soldiers that were faithful overcame an army of 135,000, not because they were great warriors, but because God used this weak status that they had to bring glory to God so that no one could say that it was the soldiers that had the victory, but that it was God. And uh, another example that I just thought of with, uh, with the mission team that came uh, from First Baptist Canton, uh, there was this poor guy, Pastor Chris can attest to this, there was a guy that he went kayaking, um, like, a couple days before coming here, and you could see where he put sunscreen on. It was right here and here. There was these two white spots, and he was red and purple. Like, it was really, really bad. And we were outside a lot uh, throughout the week. Uh, during the VBS, he was out there in long pants to try to not get any more sun, and I mean, he was hobbling, hobbling around like a grandpa that needed some knee surgery. I mean, it, 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 it hurt to look at him. But what I loved is that, uh, like, people went up and asked him, they're like, why are you walking that way? And, I mean, he was honest. He was like, I, I got really bad sunburn. I'm just trying not to make it any worse. And then people would say, like, well, why are you here? Like, shouldn't you just be at home, like, putting aloe on that every hour? And he was just like, yeah, but I, like, I, God has called me just to tell others about Jesus, and I just want to be able to serve in any way that I can. And I thought that was just a great way of, even though he, he was, uh, like, his weakness was clearly on display for everyone, he was able to use that to point people back to God and just magnify his name. But finally, the ultimate example is Jesus. 
Jesus, who was fully God, became fully human and experienced all of the weakness that we have today as humans. A verse that I want to throw up on the screen is Hebrews 4.15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus experienced all of the weakness that we will ever experience, yet he went all throughout his life without sin. And Jesus used this weakness of the human body to be crucified on the cross, to be sacrificed for us, taking our place on that cross. And God not only uses this weakness to glorify his son by raising him from the dead, but uses this weakness of Jesus' death to redeem us. So maybe, maybe you know all this, maybe you don't, but this is the message that the world is, this is the opposite message that the world is trying to tell you. To only show your strength, don't show your weakness. Always be on top, be your own boss. Do what you want to, let no one tell you what to do. But that's not what God is telling us. There might be people in here that they might feel like Joseph where bad things just keep happening one after another after another. And you just feel like you're, you're just waiting for, uh, for something to turn around. Or maybe you feel like Gideon where you have an unsurmountable obstacle in front of you. And you just think there's no way that I'm going to overcome this. That I, I'm, I'm just waiting for the end to happen because I don't think that I will be able to overcome this. And that's okay. We, we have those moments. We have those moments of weakness, but we need to remember to give those weaknesses to God. Because a lot of times we think that uh, this weakness that is holding us back can oftentimes be what God uses to reach more people than we ever thought could. As I just mentioned, there are multiple times in the Bible over and over and over where people say, I can't do it for this reason. And for that exact reason, God uses them in a way that we think that God can never use us. But our ultimate goal should be to glorify God. And if God uses our weakness to glorify him, then that's all the better. That, that's what we should be hoping for. Think back to that inclusio at the beginning and the end of the psalm. It says, Yahweh, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. So I want you to be thinking throughout this week, how can I be magnifying God's name? Just a great way that I've seen some people do it is when people ask, hey, how's your day going? If it's going good, say it's going great. Yeah, things are good. But a lot of times, sometimes things aren't going good. Things aren't going great. And you don't need to hide that. A great response that I heard one time was uh, that uh, someone said, you know, things aren't good, but I know God is good, and I'm going to keep trusting in him. And I thought that was such a great way just to point people back to God and just be magnifying his name. And so that's my challenge for you this week. Think about all the people that you're going to be around. Maybe you're going on vacation, maybe your friends, or maybe people are coming to you to vacation. 
Just focus on how can I magnify God's name with what's going on in my life right now. To be praying about that this week, and I'm gonna pray for you right now. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that we can trust in your name, that we can give you all the glory and praise. And I pray that we will just be able to magnify your name throughout all things. I pray for those people in here that feel like they have a weakness, that they can't serve you because of something that has happened in their past life or something that's going on now. I pray that they will just give that over to you, that you will just be able to show that they have been redeemed in, in the grand scheme of the entire universe of how big it is that you are mindful of us. God, we know that you love us, that, you, that we can just trust in you, and God, I pray that we will just always be magnifying your name and pointing the glory back to you. In your name we pray. Amen.